So if you are tuning in today, I imagine you're quite confused that this isn't an actual Tales of the Voidfarer episode. And for that, we apologize. Our razor thin availability finally caught up with us as the our... curse of every D&D group. Right. Really. The curse. Like, no, we, we had it. <laughs> we had it down great where it was like yeah. everyone was super busy, but we had at least that one day every two weeks we could record. And uh, that zero margin for error finally got the better of us. So um, we figured we would uh, make some lemonade with these lemons and take the opportunity to just kind of chat about the campaign so far and uh, give you guys the opportunity to ask us some questions. And thank you for everybody who submitted questions on Twitter and Facebook. So we will be getting to those here shortly. So if you're looking for the next episode of Tales of the Voidfarer, episode 2.8, that will come out on the next regularly scheduled day, which will be Tuesday, March 3rd. Oh, and uh, if if you happen to stumble across this episode sometime in the future, a general spoiler warning for uh, all of the episodes up to 2.7 Astral Bonds. Um, So you have been warned. (laughs) So... Without further ado, I am joined by Fiona, who plays Ravnus. Hi. And I'm joined by Tom. Uh, Tom is our producer and uh, also helps me out writing the adventures. Tom, why don't you introduce yourself for these lovely people who are meeting you officially for the first time? Mm-hmm. I probably broke the format by talking before my introduction. But, that's uh, that's okay. It, you it, know what? it we're, sells we're the illusion that we are yeah. all... Together in one place, and I'm not astral astral projecting into your living room right now. Everyone was like, who's this asshole? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's fair. That's that's a typical response when I come into a room, to be honest. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I'm Tom. Nick has been calling me a producer. That might honestly oversell my role a little bit, um, because Nick does all the actual editing. Um, So... Like, on a podcast, oftentimes the producer is someone who does, like, a lot of the editing and sound design. And actually, on this one, that's almost all Nick. Um, Nick really does, like, 90% of the actual work for this podcast. I gave myself um, a producer credit, too. Okay, okay. We're both, we're both so, producers. We're both producing, yeah. And Cleo, you also gave a producer credit, too. So we're just <laughs> no, handing really? no, that was That out. was Iggy. Iggy was the one who wanted oh, the producer credit. Because okay. he would just sit by my chair while I worked the whole time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, my role is more... Almost like creative consultant, I guess, um, if I want to kind of inflate my own balloon a little bit there. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, just le- like helping, like, I, c- I helped come up with some of the ideas for the podcast um, to begin with, um, helped like kind of set some of the tone a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll typically um, sit down for a few hours with Nick before each episode, usually a few days before, and we kind of together hammer out somewhat of a plan. Um, overall, like, Nick definitely is, like, the creative direction and most of, like, the overall, like, tone and voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm usually trying to do is help Nick kind of, like, find his groove with it or help him, like, iron it out or, like, polish it up to be, like, the best it can be. Yeah, like, I, I think the best way to explain it is, like, I, I have crazy ideas and I bring them <laughs> to you and together we make them not suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty reasonable. I just want to say something that we didn't clarify. Iggy and Cleo are dogs. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I've been trying to get that in, but I didn't want to interrupt. Oh, that's fair. Um, and in terms of the illusion of being in the same room, Fiona and I are actually in the same room. Yeah. Um, Nick is like two hours away from us. Yeah. 
But uh, actually, like two hours is about the closest any of us are to each other at any given moment for some behind the scenes information. Tanner lives like eight hours away from us. He was like yeah. two states away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, maybe. Yeah. So, maybe that's- so the whole spread is like we we are all uh, <laughs> we, we create this podcast uh, from four cities across two states Um <laughs> so I uh, I'm I'm broadcasting from Youngstown, Ohio. Um, Tom and Fiona are in Cleveland, well, maybe Ohio. Maybe we shouldn't say where everyone lives. I mean, yeah. it's the cities. It's fine. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's, it's a they're they're entire cities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're big cities too, with the, maybe the exception of Youngstown. Like if it's you if enough. you show up in Youngstown and like throw a rock, you'll probably like put it through my back window. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Saker's from Columbus and Tanner is from outside of Chicago. So Which is which is really anywhere that's not Chicago, technically yeah, it's, speaking. It's all <laughs> right. of Illinois, except there's, yeah. an, there's an entire globe of places that are outside of Chicago. Yeah, he's just he's just not in Chicago. That's the only thing we know about Tanner now. It's like an undisclosed location that's definitely not Chicago though. <laughs> Yeah, you have to like locate Tanner just by like process of elimination, where you just have to go city by city and you're like, nope, not here. The scope yeah, gets yeah. smaller bit by bit. Well, we already <laughs> hinted that it was not Chicago, so they've got the big one down. Yeah, they've got to mm-hmm. just look at other ones. Yeah, now. honestly, the easiest way though to find Tanner is just say Bobby Bivens three times, <laughs> and he just appears. And he'll just he'll just show up. <laughs> He'll jump a curb in his car and just... Yeah, he'll, like, hop a sidewalk and <laughs> crash through a bollard and... <laughs> oh, oh, poor, poor Tanner. He's not here to defend himself. <laughs> uh, that, though, kind of leads into uh, a question that was asked, though, by our dear friend Daniel sure, for the let's, Q&A. Can let's I start hop into the questions. Question? All right. Uh, how does everyone know each other? Ah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Could go in the Wayback Machine. Yeah. <laughs> Nicholas and I have been friends for like 12 years, like a really long time. Uh, and that was only think, 12 years? Because it, it feels a lot longer than 12 years, Fiona. Like every waking moment that I've known you has just been drawn <laughs> on for your agony. <laughs> Just excruciating pain. No, but it has been it has been twelve years. Um we missed our well, no, I think I did mention or sometime around the ten year mark that we had been friends for ten years and uh I we didn't do anything. We just said it and it was done. But no, we've been friends for for about twelve years. Mm-hmm. And uh we met everyone else kind of along the way after that well what's um, actually really interesting is like if you really think about it like we all indirectly kind of met through like student organizations yeah we're, we're college at, friends at, at college. I, I guess. yeah essentially we're college friends yeah. yeah right well fiona i met you at harry potter club <laughs> yeah and then yeah, we are both mm-hmm. former presidents of our campus's harry potter club nerd yes. yeah um just stoking the nerd cred there yeah yeah, and then out of that club, I created the Urban Gaming Club, which plays Humans vs. Zombies, which is popular at And that's where we all, met Saker, Tom, and Tanner. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, Saker and Tom, I think, probably on the same day, actually. Tom, I right. was aware of because we had a lot of mutual friends. Yeah. So, But it wasn't until like HVZ rolled around, and then the fact that like we were both like, D&D nerds that we actually started mm-hmm. like talking and stuff. But Saker showed up to... 
one of the park games we were running, Humans vs. Uh, Zombies. The fir- I know it was the first one I went to uh-huh. that we met him, and Tom was also there, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah, I remember yeah. that day. So, yeah. He showed up with his, his fuck-off LARP battle hammer. <laughs> I know, and then he was the first person I tagged, or the second person, something like that. He was gone in like a couple minutes, and uh, <laughs> then he went because he, for all of his friends, was carrying all the ammo and everything. <laughs> Humans vs. Zombies, for anyone who doesn't know, is like a nerf game, essentially and uh he went and locked everything in his car (laughs) (laughs) that sounds right uh, yeah and then he was zombie with me that was pretty fun uh tanner we met years later doing the same thing he went to a different college than us but right yeah Yeah. so we started traveling around going to humans versus zombies games at different campuses and tanner was running the game at his university so when we traveled to that game we met him through there and then he he came up to one of our games, and then like kind of the rest was history from there. Yeah, and you wouldn't know this on the podcast because uh, Tanner and I play very different characters, but Tanner and I are quite literally the same person. <laughs> and I don't think that yeah. that get, that there would be any way to know that, but in very strange <laughs> ways. Tanner Bivens, light of my life, my sun and stars. <laughs> I'm sitting right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, Fiona and I are actually in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, mm. which is why we're sitting on a couch next to each other. Yes. Podcasting into an old condenser mic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the mic that probably sounds a lot better now, but uh, for any <laughs> listeners, why I sounded like I was talking into a tin can for about eight episodes is like unclear. I um, think it's this mic did not like that closet. Yeah. I think like this, the shape of that closet did not agree with this mic. Because sitting out here, it actually sounds okay. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is actually the mic we use for to advertise our other podcast, Big Streaming Pile, which mm-hmm. Tom and I I'll are I'll get both that plug on. in. Yeah, Boom. exactly. <laughs> uh, and this mic sound, sounds fine for that and really terrible for Voidfair. So Tom for Christmas got me a mic that actually works and it sounds really good now. So the last like two yeah. episodes... We yeah, all and the, sound really good, the dynamic mic is a lot easier to work with than the condenser. The condenser, you kind of have to find the right money spot for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can also simulate the sound of Ravenous rolling dice for you here if you'd like. <laughs> See. Yeah, like just the the thunderous sound of yeah, the yeah. heavy metal dice just <laughs> shaking the entire earth. Yeah, uh. so if you want like um, budget options for very good sounding mics... Now we have advice because I really like the mic that we use for Voidfarer now. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. if it isn't evident, uh, hasn't been evident from our conversation thus far, this is like, like I mentioned it in the very first episode, but like this podcast is like really our first foray into podcasting, I think for all of us, for the most part. So we're figuring out a bunch of the tech. Well, not like... really Saker. Saker has another podcast. Yeah, That's Saker true. actually has by far the most experience. From, yes. from, from the technical side. Yeah. Us being the three of us. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 and Tanner for the most part. Yeah, but Tanner but, has done some stuff before. Um, I don't think he he was mostly just like putting it out there on SoundCloud and mm-hmm. not doing as much production with it as we are. Yeah, um, yeah. So so yeah, like a lot of this stuff has been us figuring things out on the fly. Me figuring out how how audio production works at all because I come from a from a graphics and video background. So figuring out that stuff and figuring out how how do how do one does mics work um <laughs> has, and, has, and- has been a challenge but i i can really say that i'm personally like really happy with the progress we've made quality wise 
Yeah, 100%. I think we're making big improvements. That's kind of the beautiful thing about Derailed in general, like our website, is that, um, you know, over the years we've started and abandoned projects, but also gives us a chance to be very creative and to finally, like, find mediums that we do really well in, like, writing and podcasting and arts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because originally it started out doing... Uh, board game design which Mm -hmm. was fun but i don't think it was any of our passions Mm -hmm. and we've done subsequent iterations of creating like new lines for derailed over the years and we've we've liked podcasting like we're doing pretty well with it uh Mm -hmm. i am surprised at the amount of success we've seen like really when we started void fair i was like it's gonna be my mom listening and that's it (laughs) (laughs) has your mom been listening like so far uh, she listens to Big Streaming Pile. Last night, she oh, asked me how to download Voidfair episodes onto her phone. So, ah, yeah. So. The answer is however you get your podcast. I, I did. <laughs> I said, how do you usually listen to podcasts? Mm-hmm. And she has an iPhone. So there's an app that literally just says podcast. Yeah. And I'm like, just click on that and type <laughs> yeah. it in. Yeah. There you go. Modern technology. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, podcasting, I think, is a pretty cool medium. Um. Because mm-hmm. what's nice about podcasting is... You can make a podcast that sounds pretty pretty good with very inexpensive equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the editing for a podcast can still be involved, as I'm sure Nick will tell you. Nick has had quite a few uh, sleepless nights working on Voidfair. Mm-hmm. But it's nothing compared to like editing video. Mm-hmm. It's just like not even comparable, I think. Well, see, there's there's it's interesting, as I found... Because mm-hmm. in video editing, you're dealing with the smallest, like, unit of measurement in video is a frame. Yeah. Which in audio, there's no such thing. I can place a cut any number of places in the span of what would be a single frame yeah. in, in, video in video editing. Which uh, is strictly not true. There is essentially, like, a frame rate for audio. It's, like, the mm-hmm. sample rate. Right, um, right, right, But right. it's... But, mm-hmm. like, where you have, like, well, like, high mm-hmm. frame rate video would be, like, 60 frames a second. Um, that is true. For more, like, traditional would be, like, 24. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, typical sample rate for audio is something like 44,100 hertz, which would be the equivalent of, like, 44,000 frames per second. So, so Tom, <laughs> Tom has a background in audio. <laughs> yeah. I have a background more in tech my audio is only okay i'm sure i said like three wrong things in my very confident sounding explanation it all sounded good to me yeah i understood some (laughs) of those words tom knows a lot of stuff about everything so (laughs) um so we get to another question yeah uh let's grab a question from twitter all right this is a question for fiona Wow. From Austin Nort at Nort Sauce on Twitter. He said, what made you want to play a gith over other races? And he also commented that he loves the show and keep up the good work. Thank yeah. you. I, I saw this earlier. Um, so choosing a gith, I did not go into this thinking like I want to be a gith Yankee or a gith Sarai or whatever. I went into this being like I want to be a setting specific race. And uh, I knew I didn't want to be goofy. And Saker had made his character before I did. And he's, you know, he's playing a doar. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to like steer away from like just the 
various themed animal races. So I'm going to do something a little more serious. And I told Nick that I wanted to do that. And he's like, oh, there's this really cool race called uh, the Gith. And, you know, you have Githyanki and Githyanki. And, and mm-hmm. through looking at the Githyanki and Githyanki, we both agreed that uh, Githyanki was more story appropriate, I mm-hmm. guess. And uh, Ravnus was born from that. Mm-hmm. And if I might add, if I remember correctly, I think you had already decided you were going to be a martial class. Um, so yes, you wanted, I wanted to be some yeah. sort of fighter. Yeah, so you wanted to like you were kind of looking for a race that would have been appropriate to be like a kind of like more of a brutish like fighter and Gith, Gith kind of yeah, Gith bit. like pirate of Gith mm-hmm. uh, really fit that. Yeah, I want to add to you that when we were kind of coming up with the party and everything, we definitely knew coming up with it that it was going to be for a podcast and for a performance, mm-hmm. and definitely like. We, we weren't, like, doing it exactly the same way you would do just for your home game, where people are just going to do what they want. Um, so we definitely knew we wanted, like, lots of Spelljammer flavor to really sell the setting. Um, we also knew that we wanted, like, at least one, like, more audience insert character. So that's Marco. That's Marco, in this yeah. Case, yeah. So we have, like, Luckbeak and Ravnus, who, like, are very, like, Spelljammer. They really sell the setting. And then Marco is a little bit, like, the point of view character. Which you can see, like, in the first episode, um, Nick and Tanner did that prologue mm-hmm. um, that helped kind of put us into the setting and, like, a like moving from, like, familiar sort of, like, Forgotten Realms D&D into this exotic Spelljammer thing. And we get to see it through, like, Marco's eyes a little bit. Yeah, and I will say that I didn't want to play anything exceedingly goofy. Um, I did want to play a character that was a little bit more... Subtle. One, because I am not always confident in my ability to be funny on command. And two, because we already had Luckbeak. And Saker's really, really funny yeah. and is great at improv. So I'm like, I'm going to go air on the more serious, maybe a little bit darker side. And mm-hmm. uh, Gith Yankee's really good for that. I really like the Gith Yankee. They're, they're really interesting. Yeah, they're a super cool race. When do you guys have a question? Yeah, let me look at these questions here. Uh, this one is for Nicholas. Uh, why Voidfarer or why this story in this setting? Nicholas and Tom, I guess, can both answer this. Yeah. One. Uh, so to kind of get to the bottom of that, you kind of have to like go back to when we were originally conceptualizing this sort of show, which was like in the back burner of my mind for like a, the better part of like a good couple years. Um, it was originally conceived as like maybe a stream show when we were kind of dabbling and doing that a little bit with you. Yeah, that was that was we, we were definitely playing with that idea. We were doing well, we did a fair number of live streams, mm-hmm. um, but the video aspects of it and just all of it, it is a lot of work to put together. For and sure. it felt like a low return on investment because it was so hard to get any traction streaming yeah. for the amount of work we were doing for it. Uh, yeah, for sure. And um and I kind of I, I really liked the idea of D&D in space. And I had heard of Spelljammer before, but even when even when like we were first conceptualizing the show, I wasn't necessarily even thinking of doing Spelljammer. Um, it was more of like a, that fantasy in space D&D, which was uh, just a really cool idea, in my opinion, and also something that wasn't uh, done too, too terribly much already. Um, now, there are some great like space fantasy podcasts out there. Um, uh, uh, even fell podcast is a good one. Um, sales off rails is a good one. Um, uh, 
uh, I'm sure there's a lot, lot other uh, gem jammers. There's, there's, a, there's a, a lot of ones out there that I've become aware of now uh, since, since we started. But um, so that was kind of like the thought process a little bit. And then as we were kind of developing it more and fleshing things out more, um, I became more familiar with Spelljammer, um, which was something that always fascinated me. And it kind of fit the bill a lot for what I wanted. So I dug even deeper into it, and I realized that I could have the freedom I wanted in world building and still keep the Spelljammer kind of aesthetic and uh, framework and those details by creating a homebrew crystal sphere. Yeah. Everything about Spelljammer is still true, um, but we're just creating a homebrew corner of Spelljammer for us to play in to give us a lot of freedoms to world build and, and create our own uh, aspects of the setting. Yeah. And also, we, we set it uh, time-wise away from the original Spelljammer publications to give us freedom to expound upon um, the original Spelljammer uh, stuff and kind of put our own spin on it. So... Yeah, and we've had a lot of fun kind of, like, taking these pretty old Spelljammer ideas and, mm-hmm. like, putting them through, like, a more modern lens. Yeah. Um, and, and also doing stuff, like, we've had fun thinking through, like, the effect of a little bit of Eberron Magitek leaking mm-hmm. into the broader Spelljammer world and kind of thinking through what that looks like. Yeah. Um, and there's also the fact with Spelljammer that when we were kind of conceptualizing the show, I mean, it's an obvious, like, marketability hook that... A lot of people like it. There's been a lot of people talking about it. Um, and But Wizards of the Coast has kind of slept on it. And there just hasn't been that much content for it. And it kind of fit some ideas we already had anyway. So it made a lot of sense to sort of hook into it as a way of standing out in a relatively crowded field of actual play podcasts. And having like a really, really good elevator pitch, which is, you know, it's, it's the Spelljammer podcast. <laughs> right. I, th- I think... What do you think, Fiona? Did we did we hit all the all the points of that question? I think so. Did the question also talk about like why not just Spelljammer, but like this ship in particular, and like this like structure for the show? Um. So this question comes from our friend Chelsea, and uh, it was literally two words: why Voidfair? And I asked what she meant by that, and she said, uh, "Why this story in this setting?" But like, mm-hmm. whatever you guys want to talk about is why. Fine. Why are <laughs> we doing? Why are we doing this podcast as opposed to another podcast or a different D and D actual play? I, right. I think we cover. I think we covered that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. So. Uh, do you want to pull a question, Nicholas, or should I? Sure, I can do that. Uh, let's let's go back to Twitter. Here's a question that comes from uh, the Grim Encounters podcast. Uh, they're doing a uh, if if you haven't checked them out, you should check them out. Uh, it's a campy horror action play that's Ooh. set in modern day Chicago, um, and they're playing Chill Third Edition. Um, they're definitely on my list to, to check out. Um, okay, but I don't know what Chill is. I don't. I never heard of Chill. I hadn't heard of it either. Um, but it sounds super cool. So okay, but check that out. Uh, th- this is a question for all three of us, and they said, "What is your personal favorite part about D anD D?" Oh gosh, that's a good question. I didn't see this question. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then they also comment, uh, amazing show. Love that we are part of the TTRPG community and to stay spooked. <laughs> Black heart emoji, skull emoji. <laughs> that's that's cute. Um, I, I, I'll, I have a decent answer. Um, in terms of, so I want to look at um, D&D, um, take it outside the context of its sort of like omnipresence inside uh, tabletop role playing and look at it as like one game among others. Like what? is D&D's, like, strong suits. 
Mm-hmm. And my opinion is that D&D's um, strong suit from like a game design perspective is it's um, sort of like multimodal play style that's built in, um, where D&D has like, it's developed this over time, I think, but has like kind of distinctive modes of play where we kind of like, we roll for initiative and now we're in a fight and we're using like combat mechanics and then... Um, we do like a social situation and we're like role playing and talking and then we have like exploration, which is a little bit more like puzzle solving and engaging with like a described environment. And of course, like, um, you know, Wizards of the Coast refers to those like the three pillars, like combat, interaction, exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, and most like indie RPGs tend to prefer to create like a very cohesive experience where, like, the mechanics are more unified, and everything sort of feels, like, like very coherent and more streamlined, I think. Um, but D&D leans very hard the other way, to an almost deliberately slightly incoherent experience, where, like, the game plays very differently in combat than it does in, like, interaction and exploration, and mm-hmm. it becomes much more rules-heavy, and then transitions to a much more rules-light sort of approach. But I think that that modality of D&D is very useful for pacing, that it lets um, the DM of a D&D game sort of, like, use different modes of engagement, um, and whether it's, like, rules-heavy, dice-heavy combat versus sort of, like, rules-light, dice-light roleplay, and use that to set a pace and also to kind of, like, when one thing starts to get a little bit old, they can switch to a different thing. So it's like if they've been poking at traps for 40 minutes and it's starting to get a little bit old, you can throw a combat encounter. You know, if they've been fighting monsters for a little bit and they're getting tired of rolling dice, you can put in like an NPC roleplay interaction. It gives you this like power of pacing mm-hmm. that I think is D&D's like strong suit as a game. That was a very Tom answer. (laughs) That was a really Tom answer. (laughs) What about you, Fiona? Yeah, so I I was thinking about my answer during Tom's answer. (laughs) Uh, Kind of joking, kind of serious. Number one, the dice. Um, Okay. I I am basically a crow, and I want to collect everything shiny. I have a lot of dice. Some would say too many dice, but I disagree. Um... (laughs) You just bought some today. I did. I just bought some today, and they're really pretty. They're metallic dices, uh, flash dice in blue, and I really love them. Um, But my definitely more serious answer, my number two reason, would be that uh, it's a way to interact with people that has uh, a lot to do with things that you like and things that you're interested in, but... Unlike, you know, watching a movie or a TV show or something like that. It's highly social the whole way through. And it's also something that's uh, very creative. And mm-hmm. that's sort of what I like about it. Why I keep going back and why I don't just, like, abandon all pretense and just <laughs> only collect dice because I like them. But <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I generally agree with, with what Fiona said and, and I think what Tom said. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, like, I... D&D and I guess like role playing games in general like it's definitely that that immersive like escapism that that can really capture the imagination and I think D&D in particular is really good at this because it's playing off of a variety of 
pretty deep-seated tropes in fantasy and fiction in general that it's easy to grab a hold of and to mold into whatever best suits the story that you want to tell and the character that you want to make. Um, and on top of that, like what Fiona said, it's it's super creative. I'm a, a super creative person, um, so much so that I help found Project Derailed and <laughs> and this podcast because of that that need to channel creativity into something. And uh, D and D by itself is really really good at that because you're helping to create a story, a character, a world, um, what have you. Um, that's why I love DMing, you know, because it's that ready made conduit for that creativity that would probably just build up inside me until I exploded. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also a great way to see your friends because yeah, for sure. you know mm-hmm. like if you're like just hanging out, that's so easy to blow off and be like, oh I have to like, you know, do five hundred dishes or whatever adults do. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, if you if you're making it a bit of a commitment even though it's like a fun commitment um you do want to like stick to it it does make it easy to see your friends when schedules get so hectic and stuff like that and that's part of what's beautiful even about this podcast is we get to talk to like tanner and saker and nick and everyone else who we're so far away from but every two weeks we're like okay we need to do this because people are actually depending on it now but also because we (laughs) like each other and we're friends right Fiona, do you have another question? Sure. Let me look at my sheet. Tom, um, did you have any questions or were you just like, you know? No, I'm mooching. I, I was sleeping most <laughs> of the day. piece of shit just showing up on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it'd be fine. This question is from me. Who is your dream Voidfarer guest? Mm. Oh, I don't want to say it because if I say it, then we're like. Then it won't come true. It won't come true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man. I mean, like. I, I guess dream void fair guess like it's like plausibility out the window right fuck I gotta think about that for a second Tom do you have um so me personally if I was going to have a dream guest it would probably be less from like the D and D like actual play world mm-hmm. and more from like the uh, fantasy author world so I guess my dream guest would be like Brandon Sanderson he's I one of my favorite like Brandon. living authors yeah, yeah I know I need to yeah and he does play D and D um I know. Uh, he so far refused to guest on a podcast. He's actually said specifically that it's um, because right now D and D is like a sort of blow off steam activity. Mm. and doesn't want to turn That's into fair. like another thing. He has to like stress over and like turn into a performance. Yeah, uh, which is That's pretty understandable. But uh, I don't know if you're listening to this. Our our audience isn't that big, Brandon. You can come on our show. It's fine. Yeah, it's, it's no fine. one will know. <laughs> We'll say you're our random secret. friend from Ohio. You're like Srandon Banderson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Fiona? I thought about this a lot, and I think I would have to copy Critical Role and say Joe Magnanello because he was like, I have never seen just a random guest on a podcast get so committed to what they were doing just like in a guest bit that they changed the canon of D&D. All of and D&D. I, that, I know, and I think that's just like incredible. That also, I think it would be really cool to see some death saves uh, Spelljammer stuff. Dude, that would be so fucking cool. Yeah, uh, so that's my Joe Manganiello guess. just recently guested on Good Mythical Morning with Rhett and Link. I don't know who that is. <laughs> okay. We're bad. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure they're nice. Yeah, they go watch. They listen to their show. Or yeah, 
<laughs> it's a YouTube channel. Oh, go Guys, watch get, the show. Get internet cultured. <laughs> I'm sorry. Listen, um, I'm busy watching Golden Girls for the hundredth time. <laughs> yeah, Joe Manganiello is a good answer. I mean, like, definitely like shooting for the stars, like super dream. Like, n- beyond plausibility, really, any of the cast of Critical Role, Matt Mercer especially, would be super, super cool. Yeah. It, it would be super cool to run D&D for Matt Mercer, um, mm. because he's just been a huge inspiration for me as a DM. Um, I, I would be too nervous. And he's so <laughs> nice, too. Uh-huh. I'd be like, I can't do it. Like- <laughs> yeah. No, he, he's a super cool guy. I've met, I, I met him at a couple Gen Cons now. Um, for like just signings and stuff, and just like the very brief interaction I had, he's just so genuine and such a cool dude. And I once wore a uh, Tanner from Sagas of Sundry cosplay to Gen Con, and Matt Mercer was the only one who recognized it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if anyone was gonna, I know. And he like it was so funny too because it was as soon as he was within like a couple feet of me, he's like, "You're Tanner," and I'm like, "Yeah." And then, you know, he, he gave me a hug and it was very sweet. And I was just like, oh, my God, what do I do? <laughs> Super cool guy. Uh, this is a question for Fiona from uh, at Nick underscore your Siva on Twitter. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, blocked. <laughs> blocked. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when when I build characters, a lot of times I start by like kind of mashing together characteristics from from characters in pop culture just to give myself a starting point. Um, do you do something like this, or uh, otherwise, what pop culture characters might inspire Ravnus? Um. So Ravnus was very loosely inspired by some pop culture characters. Uh, here's a personal story. I saw the show Teen Titans, which I actually referenced in our last episode when I was about like 12 or 13 years old, I think. And I saw the very end up the very ending of the first Mad Mod episode that they did. And it's the one where just the very ending is Raven says, uh, Beast Boy has a brain and then everyone laughs. And I didn't know what the show was about or what it was or anything. I was just like flipping through channels. I'm like, oh my God, someone who like kind of talks like me because I'm sure our listeners have noticed I have sort of a monotone voice and I try to get out of it sometimes, especially for podcasts and things. But uh, Ravnus, as a result, is sort of loosely inspired by Raven and um, also actually Bo and Yasha from from the newest season of Critical Role because I was like, how do I make my voice interesting and you know something that's pleasant to listen to and just doesn't sound like i'm totally bored because i i don't mind how my voice sounds at all uh but tom describes it well when he lovingly calls it my resting bitch voice (laughs) (laughs) so uh i i did definitely take inspiration from like raven bow and yasha uh the last two being from critical role of just how to make like a little bit, Bo isn't super serious, but she has like a little bit of a lower monotone and things mm-hmm. like that. So how to make that like sound good and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like backstory goes, I don't think I based her on any uh, fictional character in particular. I think it was more based on my performance of it. So like, you know, Tara Strong, Marisha Ray, and Ashley Johnson were like my inspirations. Nice. Cool. Um, here's one... 
there was fuckery with who was asking this question. Um, so I won't reveal who asked it, but <laughs> it is, why does Tom, the omnipotent spirit that lives within the podcast, not simply overthrow Nick? <laughs> yeah, Tom. <laughs> um, because I don't want to stay up all night editing this fucking podcast. <laughs> that sounds hard. Yeah. <laughs> Make Nick do all the work. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I guess that's fair. <laughs> like, let's be real. Uh, on that note, here's a question asked by our friend Dan. Which PC fucks the most and why is it the penguin? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to throw out there, I like, I think Marco is easy to underestimate on this front. <laughs> wait, are, wait, are, so you're postulating that Marco fucks? Oh yeah, 100%. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I, I have no, no other comments to make on that. It's just, <laughs> in, in, interesting. Uh, we'll have to see what Tanner thinks. So, so, the, so really the question is, why is it Luckbeak? Which uh-huh. is also my question. Um, I think that in... Well, you can actually look this up. This is in the rules of Spelljammer. Um, the higher your charisma score is, the more you sound like Foghorn Leghorn. Yes, you know, I, I believe I read that as well. Yeah, it's in there. You just got to look for it. Right. So so any of you guys out there playing uh, Charisma 20 bards that don't sound like Foghorn Leghorn, you're not playing Dungeons and Dragons correctly. You need yeah. to reassess your life. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, just throw the books out and never play again. You're not welcome in the community if you're not doing a Foghorn Leghorn voice. I will also accept Daniel Craig from Knives Out. You can do that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> British and also Deep South and also something else. Yeah. So uh, that's D&D advice with, with the Voidfarer crew. Yeah. Yep. And if you don't play that way, you are objectively wrong and do not belong in this community. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I have another question from uh, at Grim Encounters. All right. And I, and I suppose this is for all three of us. Um, what is your favorite NPC on the ship? Oh, I got that question, too. Mm. Um, from our friend Chelsea also asked that. And my answer is Coot. I love Coot. Surprisingly. I also, I also like, really love Scriv. Scriv is really close, but Coot gets it by just that much. Mm-hmm. Tom? I was going to say Coot, and then I was going to say Scriv. Yeah, I took him. Yeah, I guess I can. I answer a lot that I can't have to say. How fucking selfish, Fiona! I know that's (laughs) fucking brutal. Um, I was also gonna say um, we haven't seen him a lot on screen yet, so this isn't based on what's happened so far, but based on kind of your and I discussions. Um, Mm. But because he hasn't been on screen, I can't actually remember the name. But the first mate, I think, is an interesting character. Mm. Elmsworth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm excited to see him um, start to develop and get more screen time later on. Mm. Yeah, he's he's a cool character. Um, he hasn't been super important yet. Yeah, for me it's tough because they're they are all my children. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, and this is probably like this probably just makes the most sense. It's it's not a very interesting answer, but I like Val a lot. Um, Val but... is really interesting, even though I have mm-hmm. problems with her. She's really interesting. Well, I don't. Ravnus does. Yeah. Ravnus does. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're kind of supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, She's complicated. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Val, um, 
like Val was the first character, uh, the first uh, NPC that I created for the ship. And, and I, I may have mentioned it in passing, like in episodes, but I like did like name and at some level flesh out almost every single person on the ship, um, whether we've seen them or not, which I think we've at least seen in passing everyone with the exception of like maybe one or two people that I may have just missed when I was scrolling through the 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 Google sheet that contains all of these characters. But Val was the first one, and she is, as the captain of the Void Fair, I figured she was going to be super, super important. Um, and so I, I wanted to make her interesting and cool and have a fun personality. Um, yeah. I think Val is an interesting character from, like, a GMing perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, because she is cool and she adds a lot, but it's always, when you have a character like that, you have to be very, very careful to make sure she doesn't like overpower the game. Um, right. Because, because you're running it, um, you can kind of end up giving Val all the information or a character like Val. I I don't think this has been a problem on our podcast. Mm -hmm. Although I I would definitely, if I was listening to our podcast as an outside observer, I would be constantly like thinking about how Val is kind of on the edge of Mm -hmm. a troubling territory. Yeah. Um, Well, she does, uh, like the way it's been set up so far, and this is something I've been conscious of and trying to avoid a little bit, but she does kind of like run the risk of like being that like Dumbledore type character. Yeah. Um, where like she has all the answers and like is, has her own mysterious motivations. Um, but that's not exactly what I'm going for. So, and, and we'll learn more about Val in the coming episodes, I think. Um, so, but but yeah, she is very much um, uh, a character that I went out of my way to make sure was super interesting and has a lot going on. Um, yeah. And I'm excited to see the characters m- learn more about her. Uh, on that note, who who's everyone's favorite PC? Do we want to tread into that territory? <laughs> we kn- I mean, we know it's Ravnus, but you know. Mine is actually Marco. I really love Marco. <laughs> he cracks me up. I definitely identify most with Marco. Yeah. Um, which is the point. He's supposed to be like the audience point of view character. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes across. He's like, um, in some ways, the most charming. Like, Luckbeak has more, like, charisma. Um, mm. Both, like, in-game and also, like, you know, Saker is doing, like, a fun voice and mm-hmm. playing the character, you know, in a fun way. But I think that Marco has a sort of... Like, he's just, it's like, it's fun to kind of see what Marco's going to do and his excitement. And Tanner, I think, does a really good job conveying this um, in game. Like, like Marco's excitement is infectious, I think. Like, when he's excited to see something, um, it I think that carries through, um, at least to me, when I'm listening to these episodes as they're happening. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that assessment. Um, uh, I, I have to say my favorite is probably Luckbeak, though. Um, okay. and no votes for Ravnus. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but but like as the DM, uh, Luckbeak throws me for a loop the most. <laughs> that you is know? very true. And yeah, we've had to significantly adjust our like preparation and GMing styles to deal with Luckbeak. Right. <laughs> well, it's Wild even in the card. moment when when yeah. like when I like set up an encounter and like. Uh, Saker just takes like a hard 90 degree turn and goes somewhere unexpected uh, is always a thrill for me as a DM because uh, I'm not expecting it and in the moment when I have to start creating NPCs and 
creating stuff that's happening while Marco and Ravnus are fighting shit. And then like Beak is off running off to just a, a random tavern or or infiltrating, you know, the, the Xena Syndicate ship. Like all of those, the, both of those two moments, those are the two biggest examples so far, are moments where Saker has just like seen what has been presented in front of him and immediately reject it to do fuck off to some other thing. And I love it. It's it's great because it's creating things that I I now become an audience member because I don't know what's going to happen. Um, so those moments are always a lot of fun for me. So and the yeah. fact that Luckbeak tends to be the one to do them um, has me kind of favoring mm-hmm. him. Although I love you all equally, but... <laughs> For Nick from Austin Nort at Nort Sauce on Twitter, do you convert all of the stats for the ships, monsters, weapons, etc. yourself, or do you find them online? <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw this question. Um, well, the answer is neither. Um, <laughs> so I mean, so I I do the all the anything that does appear on the show. It's my. Um, my homebrew interpretations of it. Uh, I am not converting every single thing, however, <laughs> um, because a lot of the times it's not necessary, um, especially for this this more story focused um, campaign for the podcast. So, like stats for ships, I really don't even bother with them. Um, we haven't done any like actual ship to ship combat where we've needed to track the HP of the ship. Um, most of the decisions that have happened so far have been story based. Um, so I haven't had to, I haven't converted any, any like ship stats or anything. Yeah. And so maybe to like help people at home kind of understand how we approach this, we have generally so far treated the void fair as more like setting mm-hmm. than um, like, combat unit so mm-hmm. like when stuff is happening it's more like we're handling it the way you would handle like in a climactic like fight in a volcano there's like an eruption of lava that's now affecting mm-hmm. the environment where mm-hmm. we don't need like stats for the volcano it's just mm-hmm. it's a volcano that's what it does um and the same way with the void fair like when stuff happens it's like that's what the ship does based on the story that's going on not like we're not like rolling, you know, attack rolls for like the ship's cannons and stuff. Right. And um and I know not everybody plays plays this way. Like if you want to be tracked like the actual HP of the ship and all of that stuff, that's a that's a completely valid yeah. way to play. Um it's outside of the scope of the the story and the game that we're playing for the most part. Now, yeah. if down the road, if I do want to run and track like an actual ship to ship combat, then then I'll look at creating stats for the ships involved. And I probably will do less converting of what's existing in Spelljammer and more create whole cloth ship stats based on the way ship stats are done in 5th edition, um, fleshed out most recently by Ghosts of Saltmarsh, which is a, a great okay. resource for yeah. naval naval combat and, and all of that stuff. So between that and some of the other... Some of the other little bits and mechanics that have been sprinkled through 5th edition so far have like do a great job you can like pick and choose all of this stuff um as it's scattered through the rules that already exist and use it to play this spell jammer game without any spell jammer specific rules um like a spell jammer ship exists in fifth edition already in dungeon of the mad mage including a spell jamming helm uh, which is a, a wondrous yeah. item 
in there. Spoilers for that adventure, I guess. But uh, <laughs> um, but but those those resources are available in that book, and you can take that, combine it with the way ship stats are done in Fifth Edition, and how ship to ship combat works in just a regular naval setting, and it it just converts whole wholesale to space mm-hmm. combat. Um, yeah. So there's not a whole lot of like one for one conversion that really needs to be done. Um, and as for monsters, um, a lot of the monsters that exist in Spelljammer, especially the ones we've used so far, which there hasn't been a whole lot yet, there are similar monsters that already exist in 5th edition. So like things like the asteroid hoppers or the asteroid jumpers, rather. Um, I mean, we just took a rat swarm and gave them like a blink dog's teleport ability. Um, yeah. Which is comical, too, when you, when you take uh, a swarm and give it yeah. an ability like yeah. like a blink dog's uh, blink. Uh, yeah. But uh, you create fun stuff like that. Yeah. And of course, that's almost less of a and this is also, I think, part of how you've been approaching it mm-hmm. is less like converting from the spell jammer and more like reimagining. Right. And sort of taking the old material more as like inspiration than like mm-hmm. dogma. So like mm-hmm. the the asteroid hoppers I think are a good example where in the mm-hmm. original right they weren't like a swarming creature. No, I don't even think swarms uh, existed in second edition D anD D as like a concept. No, maybe they did. I'm not well, sure. Yeah, and and they were like basically a way to have rats in space, and their teleport ability was like a non combat ability that was just a way to explain how you could have rats on an asteroid. Okay. Um, yeah. From from what I understand, so taking that concept, which is a cool idea and making it interesting in the in the scope of a combat um is giving it something like a blink dog's teleport yeah um, now and that's the other where thing- like oh go ahead tom Sorry. i was gonna say like, like i we have generally not felt terribly beholden to these pretty old rules mm-hmm. um that is an advantage of doing spell jammer well it is an advantage and a disadvantage that they're old rules mm-hmm. um that a lot of people aren't going to even remember that well even if they did play it back in the day mm-hmm. and most people haven't played it they're only just like heard about it yeah so like we all, we don't really sweat trying to get it like canonically correct or anything. Like we see mm. it more as like a reimagining and sort of like taking like thematic elements and cool mm. ideas. But we're doing a lot of like kit bashing, a lot of like, well, like you said, like take a rat swarm, give it a blink ability, and call it good. Um, yeah, I know that you've done a lot of reskinning, where it's basically just like take a monster that's already there and yep. like slap a coat of paint on it, give it like a new ability or something, and you've got something cool and interesting. Yep. And then the other thing that we're looking at, too, is like kind of reimagining these creatures is uh, actually not outside of what has already been done for some of the monsters that have been updated from past editions to fifth yeah. edition in an official capacity. Um, and that includes Spelljammer monsters, because uh, you can look at uh, already in fifth edition. We have Niagi, we have Gith, um, uh, not Gith, uh, Gif, the, the big hippo people, not the... Um, yeah, the yeah. yellow skin Voldemort the, elves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like we look at how these things have been updated and like there's other some of like the weirder uh, monsters have received updates as well, because debatably a lot of like the old Spelljammer monsters are pretty weird. So you can look at something like the Nilbog, which back in the day was a go- basically just a goblin that healed when you damaged it. And you could only damage it by healing it, which is ridiculous. Uh, now, they did bring that into 5th edition, but they completely changed how the mechanics of it work. To to keep a lot of that inspiration um, there, it has an ability where it can heal so much damage uh, when you damage it, but it doesn't 
you know, it's not a complete like reversal. You know, it makes it a little yeah, bit more manageable. Yeah. It brings it into like the fifth edition of design philosophy. Um, yeah. And those are a lot of things we're thinking about when we look at some of these old Spelljammer monsters and want to bring them to our fifth edition game. It's like kind of yeah. how would they be done in fifth edition? It's uh, and less yeah. of like, let's like just how would it. like Mike Merles and Wizard of the Coast, how would they approach this? How would they? Yeah. And we're kind of trying to do more like that, uh, although with with less effort. So if we can just like grab something from the monster manual and mm-hmm. slap a coat of paint on it, we'll do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, we have no problem with that. Right, and and it's great because it's like it allows us to pay homage to to Spelljammer without having to really get into the nitty gritty of exactly how like these monsters monsters yeah. work. Yeah. And I think you and I both share a philosophy in GMing that we only do stuff that's going to actually matter at the table. Yes. Um, so we're not really this type of GMs who will sit there and like stat out lots and lots and lots of things that are probably not going to make much difference. Um, mm-hmm. And we're also not the type of GMs who will do a lot of like dice rolls for stuff that isn't like actually generating dramatic tension at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's like we do like a lean conversion. Like we only convert like the pieces we like need for that session and kind of don't worry about the rest until we have a need for it. Cool. We ready for another question? Yeah. Do you have a question? Am I asking um, a question? God, I got to do everything. Um, <laughs> so, oh, I have one. Uh, this is a question for Tom from from at Nick Ooh. underscore Yurisiva on Twitter. Okay. Um, so you have been composing original music for Voidfarer. Um, walk us through your process of composing a piece of music for the show. Ah, <laughs> Good okay. Good question. I- Family feud, good question, gif. I like that question. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so for reference, um, the only music of mine that's been on the show so far is the opening theme. Um, the other stuff that Nick has been using is royalty-free stuff. Um, I've used some of your other stuff. Oh, have you? Okay. Yeah, the, 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 the song that is that plays under the recap is yours. Oh, and, that is true. Yes, yes, the recap. There is, yeah. um, uh, I think I think you titled it Fate of the Spheres. Oh, I've have used you that, used that I've, one? Okay. Oh, yeah. I've used it a bunch. Oh, okay, um, well. Yeah, I actually, I often don't listen to the final um, podcast. Wow. Because wow. uh, well, I listen to you guys do it live. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. It's, I'll, I'll, like, listen to, I like, spot check parts of it, but I don't usually <laughs> listen to the whole thing through. Um, well, I, I hear you guys do it live, so it's kind of like... But you miss all I know of my I, cool editing that I put I know. hours and hours in. Well, I really liked in the last episode where when we were like in the astral plane vision, it sounded like a meditation CD. <laughs> I, I meant to tell you that when I saw you earlier today and I forgot. Ah, thanks. That that was that was uh, one of <laughs> the royalty free tracks. Yeah, that was one of the royalty free tracks from purple-planet.com. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay, but, but like for my process, um, I mean, I'll say I'm very much like an amateur. Um, I was I was like a theory and composition major in college for exactly one semester, and that was <laughs> my very first semester, and it was a long time ago now. Tom's old. Yeah, I'm old. Um, so my process is kind of evolving um but i have a few different approaches um usually though what i what i kind of do when i'm writing a new piece is um i'll kind of do almost like the musical equivalent of like a sketch um where i'll just kind of like um start recording and start just like kind of improvising something um usually at this point i'll have like a general like motif in mind and like a few sort of like pieces i'm gonna kind of like like a few like sections 
that have already kind of worked out. I'm going to try and sort of like connect together into something um, with, with like some connective tissue. And I'll kind of do that. Um, and then once I have that sketch, I'll kind of take and try and fill it in. Um, I've been changing my workflow a lot, though, as I try different like um, different like technologies and different like workflows to try and find something that is good. So a lot of that is I'm still trying to dial that in because I haven't I sort of haven't been in this game for a long time. I'm getting back into it. Um, it's been a little bit slow. Um, but the, the answer is like it starts at the piano, typically with me um, improvising something and just kind of playing around and finding something that I like. And then I sort of like develop it from there. Um, and what I'm usually going for is kind of like a Hollywood score sort of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's kind of what I'm interested in right now. I may in the future try some other sounds, but right now I'm kind of trying to get down like a sort of Hollywood sound. Yeah. And I think it's been great so far. I've been having a lot of fun with it. And you've been working on some exciting stuff that I can't wait to implement here <laughs> in the future. Yeah. I have um, a a theme for Luckbeak that is now finished, and I have um, sketches basically for Marco and Ravnus as well. So hopefully, um, I'll have those. Um, we'll, we'll have those, and we'll be able to start working them into the recordings um, pretty soon. Cool, I'm excited for that. Mm-hmm. Fiona, hit us with a question from at Fiona L F Kelly. <laughs> Uh, what is everyone's interests and hobbies outside of gaming and podcasting? And what is something that we wouldn't know about everyone if we only listened to uh, Tales of the Void Fair, like the story parts of it about everyone in real life? Wait, hold up. There are there are other in- interests and hobbies out out outside of. I know D and D and fuck. Uh... <laughs> Huh. I don't know, Tom. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, I'm on the spot. Okay. <laughs> so, well, my actual job is I'm a software engineer, so I like tech and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that might count as an interest. Um, obviously, like music. Um, that is part of the podcast at this point, I guess. Um, I like video games a lot. Um, actually, Nick and I have actually done work mm-hmm. um, designing video games before, mostly just for like our own fun. Um, we haven't like released anything other than like through uh, game jams and stuff where we'll like put stuff online. Um, yeah. So we've done some of that. Um, what else am I into? Whiskey. Uh, whiskey. I do like whiskey. I like beer. Um, beer and whiskey both. And like tasting them, not just, not just like, you know. No, I'm just <laughs> not slamming just... bottles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Um. We love our cat Mia. We have Mia's over here. Yeah, Mia is really sad because uh, her fountain that she drinks out of made a lot of noise, so we had to unplug it. And she has been going over to it, scratching it, and like looking back mournfully <laughs> at us. And it's like really heartbreaking. And we didn't leave her like without water. She has like a bowl of water, but, but she doesn't she, want that water. She, she wants want the it. she wants the good water. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will go next. I sure. guess. Something that I, well, I based this question, uh, specifically the second part of the question, like, was something someone would, like, not know. And I found this out the other day. We all have the same blood type, which I found really... I don't. Really... I'm different. Oh, you're different? Well, any yeah. of, all the player characters have the same blood type. Uh-huh. And I find that really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. Um, my interests and hobbies... Not related to gaming or podcasting. 
Um, I really like, uh, like pole dancing and aerial silks. That's really fun. Um, I, I have a lot of house plants and I like to like, I, I like orchids specifically. I like to like try to rehabilitate dying orchids, uh, you know, and we have about a million house plants. And we we don't have a lot of orchids right now, actually. We have about forty echeveria <laughs> that uh, I've raised from little babies, and I'm hoping to give away soon. And I don't know. I like. I, I'm very. I'm a very hobby oriented person. What mm-hmm. else do I like? I mean, the dice. Yeah, that's related to gaming, though, that's and fair. I already said that. Oh, I like to read. Um, my job is that I'm a writer. My background is actually in uh, linguistics and literature, so I do a lot of, like, reading and stuff. Well, now I watch a lot more, like, movies and things, but that's kind of, like, you know, for work on various websites that I write for, and, uh, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll throw in too for myself that I also, I'm very interested in, um, history and philosophy as well. Those are what I actually have degrees in. Um, so even though I do software engineering, my degrees are more in the humanities. So I'm really interested in, um, like, like sort of like analytic philosophy, um, like a lot of epistemology type stuff. And then history, um, like military history and political history, um, all sorts of history really I'm, I'm pretty into. Cool. Yeah, and uh, outside of D&D and gaming, um, I am uh, a graphic artist. Um, I, I actually currently uh, work in uh, social media marketing and digital graphics. Um, I'm running social media, a social media account for a nationwide uh, retail company. And those skills definitely help with promoting the podcast. Yep. Oh. That made <laughs> such a huge difference. It did. Uh-huh. <laughs> the amount of traction uh, we had especially mm-hmm. on Twitter um, before the show even came out was kind of wild to me. Mm-hmm. No, you guys can keep going and complimenting me. How can I <laughs> <it>? uh, <laughs> no. And, uh, and, and yeah, so, uh, and I de- dabble in graphic design and stuff um, actually designed uh, all of the stuff for the show as well. Cause of that background, um, including and some our, t-shirts like, designs yeah. that are now available stuff. in our brand new shop mm-hmm. at, bit.ly slash derailed shop and get nice. some cool void fair merch got that plug in uh check and uh yeah so and i'm, I'm also into um craft beer yeah we uh, well the three of us at least are all like beer and whiskey drinkers mm-hmm. yeah, we do <laughs> enjoy them mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah um I have I have like a bunch of like random ass hobbies, but most of them revolve around gaming nowadays. So, you yeah. know, how do how do we monetize our hobbies? The podcast, exactly. yeah, yeah really. <laughs> like Project Derailed basically got started on like you know how do we channel our hobbies into something halfway productive, yeah. right? Which yeah. is a dangerous thing to fall into because like mm-hmm. then everything just feels like work. So you gotta have that stuff that you're just like very specifically like I will never monetize this. Yeah. It mm-hmm. really does help with burnout. Yeah. Although yeah. it's derailed, monetize is in. Yeah, monetize largest of scare quotes. Right, <laughs> right. We get a couple cents, you know, a day. I would say that so far we have sunk multiple orders of magnitude more money into it than one hundred percent likely 100%. to ever get out of it. <laughs> yeah, but also you know things that you do create a schedule with that other people depend on and you know we're obviously part of a team with this so Mm -hmm. you know when one person starts slacking because like oh it's just like a hobby it's supposed to be fun whatever that does start affecting other people so you do really feel that stress with it even if it's not like 
your livelihood, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that's, like, fun, and, you know, we're doing it because we want to and because we like it, not because we're expecting to, like, make a lot of money doing it or anything like that. Yeah. But it definitely, it definitely is a lot of work. Um, I mean, Nick does way more for the podcast than anyone, but even just, like, finding the time to do the recording and getting everything set up and uh, me setting aside time to talk with Nick before the podcast and kind of... Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a lot that goes on and it's it's fun it's rewarding but it's also like sometimes it's like man I just had a long day at work and now I'm gonna do this <laughs> yeah yeah I, I I will say that I have I have a really high tolerance for burnout um but that's just me um so much so that it's like if I don't have something to work on um mm. I almost like just kind of flounder without purpose um that's until fair. I like I'm like. I can actually play my Switch for a change. Maybe I should do that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it does, like, snowball. There is, there is like, a point that you reach mm-hmm. where you're, like, busy, and that makes you more productive. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, like, if you don't have a lot to do, it's, like, a lot harder to do stuff than if you have, like, a medium to high amount of things to do. Yeah. So. All right. This would be for, I guess, me and Tom. Um, this is from Dan on Twitter. Uh, he says, specifically in regards to world building, are there, and if so, what, real world inspirations? Um, and I guess my short answer to that is not directly. Um, mm-hmm. It's like kind of more, we were trying to create a uh, a setting that did lean pretty heavily on a lot of like the, the D and D exploration tropes, but taking that to like a, a space scale. Um, but those tropes are informed by a lot of, uh, real world and fictional inspirations, um, that you can probably, uh, get into a lot of like imperialism kind of, kind of things with as mm-hmm. problematic as that might be. Um, and you know, that kind of like the untamed wilderness, yeah. uh, again, obviously like the remains of a long lost empire and like stuff like that. So we're pulling on a lot of tropes, um, that dr- are derived from real, real world things. I definitely yeah. considered like the Craetorian empire in my head to be very like a, a Roman empire. Yeah. Like a classical analog. Roman sort of thing. Yeah. Um, just with like space magitech, um, yep. which is really cool in my head. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. so there's definitely that. Um, but yeah. f- on the whole, um, there's not a whole lot of uh, yeah. Like we we weren't really like kind of thinking about any any real world events to base off. Yeah, of. and yeah, and we weren't doing like real world events specifically. We also weren't doing like this is like Arabia in space, right? <laughs> Um, which, and part of that is that Spelljammer's nature, I think, is that it's, Mm -hmm. it's like pastiche. It's like deliberately like mashing up things that don't really go together and making it work and having fun with it. Um, Mm -hmm. and like Spelljammer works so long as you don't think about it too hard sometimes. Like you gotta kind of just roll with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that when it comes to like real world inspiration, um, it probably has a much bigger impact at more like the micro scale than the macro scale. So it's not like we're saying, like, here's like, well, like I said, like, it's not like here's space England, you know, but it's like um, when we are getting into like the details of how does a ship of like the sort of size and style of the Voidfarer run, um, obviously we're making changes because we're like in space and we have magic, but we're also drawing a lot on, you know, like how would a ship like this operate? What would the crew do? Like what, how does this work Um, based on like, 
you know, historical knowledge, um, thinking through stuff, that kind of thing. Um, and also, when we're thinking through, like, the various factions in Crot Space, well, like, we're not saying, like, this is this specific historical thing, but at least I, like, in our brainstorming, I'm oftentimes bringing a sort of, like, background knowledge of how, like, political conflicts and, like, these sort of factional things play out just in in more, like, general sense and using that to kind of, like, guide what sorts of things happen. Um, and always being sure to, like, root each, like, actor's motivations and, like, a sort of, like, value system and ideology that mm. is internally co- consistent and internally coherent, which... When you have that, when you can, like, say that, like, the values for this, like, actor in the broader, like, crot space system, like, here's, like, what they care about, here's their ambitions, here's what Mm -hmm. they value, here's how they see things, it makes it easier to play them in a way that feels very authentic, but it's still very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a danger is to sort of, like, give everyone, like, overly simplistic goals. um, Right. And but that's where it's it's not so much like drawing on like a specific culture or something, but more drawing on like a nuanced understanding of like almost just like the human condition (laughs) 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 to Uh like give give like the factions and like their leaders and the characters involved like a sort of rooting in like like I said, like a value system and ideology that like makes their actions more than just, like, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, but turns them into they're trying to do something which helps explain, Mm -hmm. like, the sort of causal logic as things play out. Well, and it it makes the the setting seem more realistic. Yeah. Because even if you don't understand the, that faction's specific goals and intentions, the the event, the, the act that they actually are taking... Um, feels plausible it feels yeah. like there are machinations going on that you don't fully understand there is intent there even if you don't know what it yeah. is and there's um, like a coherence behind it um that i think can come through sometimes um and it also helps when you have like that internally coherent sort of belief system it mm-hmm. helps you come up with stuff that makes sense but is also a little surprising right um, and helps like explain more nuanced behaviors that are more fun to interact with than just mm-hmm. like this is the bad guy and they are just opposing you because that's what they do. Mhm. Yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have a question that I like for a final question. Um Fiona, did you have any others that we want to get in? I I did have one from Roger and because this is the only question that he asked, I really wanted to make sure it was in. Uh-huh. Um what would a dating profile for your character or I guess also for an NPC look like? <laughs> <laughs> um well, Fiona, you're the only you're the only character player character. You can also here. do it for an NPC. I, I will. Okay. Uh, yeah, do it for Val, Nick. I'll do it for Val. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So what 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 would Ravnus's Tinder profile look like? Oh, I've never used Tinder, <laughs> so this is going only on like screenshots and like things that my friends <laughs> have shown me. Um. In reality, she would not have one, but <laughs> but for the purposes <laughs> of the question, um, her pictures. I I feel like she wouldn't actually have a lot of pictures of herself. 
or like mm-hmm. any pictures of herself. So um, she immediate would have, left swipe. <laughs> yeah, really. She would have <laughs> pictures of her weapons, or just like, <laughs> or just like like spacescapes, and hmm. uh, her profile itself would have no emojis. Um, God, I'm trying to think of what I would say. It would be like, you know, Ravnus, like, 23 or however old I make her. And, um, it would probably be very straightforward. It would be like, it would just be like, uh, which is the way to say yes? Is it right? Right, yeah. Yeah, it would be like, swipe right to date me swipe left to not date me <laughs> and, and that would be her whole pro- profile i think it's probably like unintentionally like actually really clever <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i would almost like i would almost put put it past ravenous to like not actually have anything in the bio at all <laughs> yeah yeah i i i honestly think that she wouldn't she would have like one picture of her sword no profile <laughs> and it would it would just say ravenous and that would be it. That's all you have to go off of. And if you're into it, you're into it. Uh-huh. And uh, Marco and Luckbeak swiped. Oh no, no swipe left if you're a squid. That's what she would have. Oh, swipe left if you're yeah. a squid. Yeah, swipe left if you're a squid. And uh, Marco and Luckbeak swiped right on her, obviously knowing uh-huh. uh, basically nothing else about her. So you know she's got it. she's like. She's got two. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need, really. I wonder if, like, any wizard is out there in somewhere in the broader Spelljammer or just any other D&D setting of doing, like, a Tinder for, like, adventurers so they can, like, <laughs> put their interests and, like, get matched up into, like, an adventuring party based on, like, you know, Holy good, shit. like, synergies and stuff. Uh-huh. Well, you two are, like, the creators of this world. You could do that. Yeah. <clears throat> We could, but the question is, should we? <laughs> I think uh, it would bring an interesting dynamic to the group for them to find Luckbeak's Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, so here's how it would uh-huh. work in a D&D mm-hmm. setting. Okay. It would be a little bit less convenient than Tinder proper. But okay. what you'd have is you'd have the wizard would just have a big collection of paired like messaging stones. Okay? Uh-huh. And we'd just have like a big like tome where any adventurer who came by could, like, write their, like, bio in the tome Mm -hmm. and um, would then take one of the two stones and the wizard would keep the other. And if you were looking for a party, you could go visit the wizard, look through the book, and then use, like, the stones to contact the person from the tome and see if they would be interested in grouping up. Hmm. That's not contrived at all. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, <laughs> Val's Tinder. Val's Tinder. Tinder profile for Val. Um, I would feel like Val's Val's Tinder profile would be very, very aggressive. Um, where it her bio would be like maxed out on characters, like basically saying like, "This is what I'm looking for," and like, "This is you know," and if you're like this, you could fuck off and like you know um i i think that would be val's and i think um i think all of her photos would be like 
I don't think any of them would be selfies. I think they would all be like random ass photos that like were taken that she happens to be in from like social gatherings and parties and going out. And she doesn't look particularly good or ready to have that photo be taken in any of them. She's Uh, like holding a plate of cheese at a banquet. (laughs) like, (laughs) Or she just took a bite of food. Uh, (laughs) Or is like shit faced singing karaoke. Uh, Yes. I don't think Val would be one to go out of her way to take many selfies at all. So, like, I don't think her Tinder would actually have any selfies. They're all like, you know, like these are the only okay. four pictures I could find of me. <laughs> and and it, and it would be one of those. It'd be one of those profiles where you kind of had to cross reference all the photos to figure out which person in the photo she is. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's For like sure. there's there's several people in every single one of these photos. So you kind of have to scroll through all of them and find the one, the find the one person that's in every single one like of draw these like the determine, Venn diagram, yeah, right, exactly to figure out actually whose profile is this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be Val. <laughs> okay. Would, would she would she swipe right on Ravnus based on that profile? Well she, well, she did. She did. She did swipe right she, on Ravnus. She did. That is mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Um she saw the sword and she's like, oh, what did she say in the last episode? Uh-huh. She's like, I have a sense about these things. No one is better at it than me. I still don't believe her. She is up to something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll find out more about that. That's us. Ooh. interesting stuff keep listening what is, uh, yeah so what's the last question I, <laughs> last question leaving. all right this is a question for everyone from at nick underscore your siva on twitter okay that's me if people aren't oh my following God. that joke shut the way to explain up. the joke it's funny it's funny now that i've explained it yeah uh, <laughs> good job so would you rather fight 10 doar sized gif or one gift size doar. Oh God! <laughs> Definitely ten doar sized. Yeah, gift. I hate that you're making me think about this, but yeah, ten <laughs> doar sized yeah. gift. Well, okay. So here's the here's the thing that one um, gift size doar would. There, there's just no tactical scenario where that works out for me. Like, they're just but, gonna kick my ass. But okay? but here's the thing: are the they ten- medium sized? Or large sized. GIF are medium sized, but they are large. They're bulky. They yeah. are big and bulky. They they they're like between. But they're like also like eight. They're like eight foot tall and fucking gigantic. Then they weigh like probably six hundred pounds. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah. So one gift sized doar is going to kick my ass. Unless like I have like a weapons advantage or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, that's gonna be but, like fighting But here's a the thing to consider. <laughs> GIF being GIF, mm-hmm. all 10 of the Doar sized GIF have appropriately have, like, sized firearms. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, then I'm just. Dist- <laughs> I'm assuming we're all like naked in like a pit here. Oh, oh see, that's that's different. But see, the yeah. like, but but a GIF's, a GIF's firearms are an extension of their body, they are they are spiritually intertwined. See, but because they're so small, I imagine it's like a BB gun. And I, it's like pew pew pew. Yeah. So um. I, I don't know. I think I could still like kick over ten yeah. tiny gif. I think that with the the ten door sized gif, the key in that situation is going to be um like the 
like the tactical arrangements I'm able to make. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if I'm able to like put myself in like like a choke point or like a corner or something, uh-huh. I'll have a big advantage because they won't be able to get around me, and like the surface area of contact will be smaller. Now, if they are shooting at me, I'm gonna need some cover. Wait, but if hold I'm able on. To, like, hold on, hold on, hold mm-hmm. on. So, so you're envisioning the situation like naked in a pit yet you find that there's some sort of choke point that you can <laughs> well even if i just have a back to the wall that like cuts off a lot of the room to surround but it. there's also cover <laughs> well I, like they want well if they're gonna give them guns they're gonna give me cover like yeah no if they have no guns then this, this is not the, the naked in a pit scenario yeah it's, yeah, it's yeah, a completely yeah. other timeline if yeah. they have guns. <laughs> yeah. Another timeline. Yeah. Right. So the point is that <laughs> against one gift sized OR, like tactics are not going to they matter can just very sit much. On you. Yeah, they're just gonna like they're just gonna kick my ass and there's really nothing I can do about it. Whereas against like the ten door sized gif, I can like like if they get if they like pin like, if they like, get me surrounded, then I'm done for. But if I'm able to like hold it so I only have to deal with a couple of them at a time, then I might be able to make it out alive. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Now, I think it's a better shot. Yeah. I, like, and the other thing to consider is, like, they are still GIF, so they're, they are the size of a door, but they're probably still, like, easily three or four times as heavy. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, or easily as twice as heavy because they're just, like, denser and bulkier yeah. than, than the door, even if they're the same size. We just had our mic fall over a minute ago, so we apologize. That's going to be a... Well, it was while I was talking, so I muted it, so they didn't hear it, because quality is important here. I meant more to you. I figured you were going to edit all this out. No. Oh, that's fair. Well, he just needs to edit what he's talking about out. Uh, No, I might. We'll see. Now that that we made a thing of it, I probably won't. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. Well, this part, yeah, but like the point before this, probably. Not. No, he'll just he'll just, or maybe he will leave it in. I don't know. He'll, he'll figure out. He'll he'll do what he it'll, wants. With it'll it. be a mystery. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Only I wield the power. Um, <laughs> so, um, I think that is a pretty beefy episode of juicy so behind too. the yeah. scenes info, spilling should, all the tea. Should we? Here's an idea. Should we okay. leave the audience with a question that they can maybe reply mm. to on social media? That sounds like the kind of social media engagement I'm here for. Um, All right. I can I can pull up a question that we did not answer from my list. Yeah, go ahead that and do that. That is not Voidfarer specific. I'm curious. I'm- what is your favorite RPG character you've ever played? And what would their role on the Voidfarer be? Ooh. That's a good question. Yeah. So that's if you make it to the end of this episode, mm-hmm. um, feel free to answer that question. Or yeah. if you just want to let us know, you watch the episode, like the code word is um, is banana, I guess. <laughs> banana. <laughs> so tweet. <laughs> tweet at Voidfarer banana. Tweet at Voidfair pod the word banana, or if you'd like, answer the question that Fiona yeah. presented. Banana's <laughs> the low effort option, which is what I would take. Because I'm a low effort person. <laughs> well, now we have to make a banana t-shirt. <laughs> Got it. I'll add it to the list. That's, that's always the code word. Banana is always the code word. No, no, we have to so change I- it. So that we know which thing they want. <laughs> mm. 
or listen to. Okay, so Q&As are banana and regular episodes. No, no, each Q&A has to have its own code word so we know each, which Q&A. Each Q&A, God, this there's not that many fruits that, you know. We it doesn't like. have to be a fruit. Just There's a lot of words. <laughs> there's like at least like 60 or 70. <laughs> We've wow. used probably 10 on this podcast yeah. alone. Wow. And eight wow. of them were about the doe Yeah. If any of you were wondering why we're called Project Derailed, yeah. case in point. But anyway, so yeah, tweet either of those things at VoidfarerPod on Twitter, or you can check us out at VoidfarerPodcast on Facebook and Instagram. Again, we have a shop on Redbubble where you can get cool Voidfarer merch and some of the other stuff we do by going to bit.ly slash derailed shop. Myself and Tanner are going to be at C2E2 in a couple weeks, um, the weekend of February 28th. If you're there and you see us, be sure to say hi, and you can follow us, stalk us on Twitter um, to see where we might be and where you might be able to find us. So that's a cool thing. And uh, beyond that, oh, hey, uh, we are affiliated with Wave, so if you wanted to you know, make social media friendly video clips from your audio content like podcasts. Uh, you can do it with wave and you can just add artwork, a waveform and even subtitles and you're good to go. And if you sign up using our affiliate link, bit.ly slash wavefarer, you will be supporting the show. Uh, and you can catch that link in the show notes. So, until next time, uh, when our episode 2.8 of Tales of the Void Fair comes out on Tuesday, March 3rd, 2020. And it's going to be a good one. You aren't going to want to miss it. We have some cool yes. stuff planned. Things are coming to a head. So, until then, bye. Bye. Fiona, say bye. There's a train passing. Just say bye. He'll just edit. Just, just say bye. Oh. projectderailed.com